Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to another exciting edition of Plank of the Week. Unfortunately, we're still not in a position to video uh, this particular episode, so we're going to do it as an audio podcast only. And I'm delighted to say for the first time joining us is Joe Hemmings, a psychologist to the stars, and indeed me, occasionally. Uh, Joe, a very warm welcome to Plank of the Week. Thank you very much, Mike. Very, I'm very, very, very much looking forward to uh, to your selections. And Russell Quirk, who I have to say is a bit of a veteran of Plank of the Week, has been on it quite a few times in various different guises. Russell, uh, housing expert, uh, property man, um, a man of many parts, really. Welcome back, Russell. Thank you, Mike. Can't believe you keep having me back. But <laughs> well, you haven't done anything yet to dissuade me from having you back. Now, um, we've explained to Jo how this all works, even though she does listen to it on a regular basis. And so we're going to try and basically get three nominations for Plank of the Week out of Jo. Um, I've got a terrible feeling, Jo, that you might be a bit of a token lefty on this show. Well, I would say I was probably quite middle ground, maybe veering to the left. But I think for your show purposes, I am really quite seriously far left wing. Right. Does that mean you're going? Does that mean you're going to nominate the senior advisor to the government for Plank of the Week? Kind of. <laughs> Go on then. <laughs> Any of the government, really. I only had a choice of three. I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, I could have probably come up with a lot more. But <laughs> yes. Well, give us yeah. your, give us your first nomination then. Go on. Okay, my first nomination, of course, which has to be, um, for whatever reason, it has to be Dominic Cummings. Well, I mean, somebody has to do it, I suppose. I mean, it wouldn't be me, uh, and I suspect it wouldn't be Russell, so it wouldn't be right if we didn't have him in the list, because the country appears to be quite split about the whole thing. Yes, indeed. Now, he's got to be there, and even if you support him and what he did and why he did it, uh, I still think he's got to be in there at Plank of the Week, just because of the whole... uh, speech thing yesterday, this 11-year-old essay, you know, it's late, I'm sorry the captain's looking at it, I'm just going to speak in, you know, single monosyllabic sentences for 45 minutes to excuse myself from doing this thing, but I'm not going to say the hardest words in the world, which are I'm sorry at the end of it. So I, he could have been forgiven, I think, but I, he didn't ask for forgiveness, so I don't forgive him. Russell, so Russell, what do, you, what do you make of it, Russell? I have to be honest, I have generally supported Cummings, given his, uh, if you like, excuse for driving to Durham. The issue I did have with him yesterday was, A, doing the press conference in the first place. I'm not sure that was very wise and obviously unprecedented. Um, And I think it raised probably a few more questions than than it answered, particularly around driving to the hospital, presumably still with COVID symptoms, and indeed 
uh, a jolly up on his wife's birthday to Barna Castle and stopping in the woods on the way back, which um, I, I think actually was probably the most significant blow. But but generally, I think we just need to move on, don't we? Well, I think so. And I think the problem for uh, for Dominic Cummings is, is the media, and we'll probably get to most of this uh, uh, as we go through this, this particular podcast, because in the end, for me, Joe, um, we've got this obsession with asking people to say sorry, it seems, in this world now. And it's almost as though, you know, if Hitler turned up, they'd say, well, as long as you say sorry for what you did, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll understand and you can carry on. There are exceptions to this, I'm sorry, rule, because I think the problem is you've got a very, very angry country. We need to be angry about something. There's this massive amount of uncertainty. Nobody's going to get it right, whoever was in power. There's loads of sort of mixed information coming through. And I think, yeah, we needed a target, and he was there as a target. And he looked extremely uncomfortable, I have to say, through that weird sort of open-air theatre-type scenario. Um, it was a bit like watching Shakespeare in the park, and yeah. it wasn't. Well, somebody somebody um, said to me, uh, it was a bit like when he sat down, they thought it was going to be like the start of the old Monty Python uh, show, you know, and he was going to say, and now for something completely different. <laughs> well, it was really bizarre. He looked like he'd been hauled up to the head. And each of the press were kind of the headmasters telling him off, and he got more and more kind of, he was sort of collapsing into himself. I think he found it really uncomfortable. But I do think, yeah, you know, it's the moving on bit. Uh, he's decided we're going to move on and clearly Boris Johnson's decided we're going to move on but the trouble is a lot of the country are not ready to move on so if you've given us a few little nibbles that we could say okay we'll now move on that would have helped but we were just in this impasse, but we don't have any control over it, so we'll just stay angry. But, but, uh, but, but this is a problem, ideal. isn't it? It's not really ideal. I mean, you're a psychologist. You understand the ins and outs of the science of all of this. But, Russell, I mean, I, do you, does anybody honestly believe if he said sorry or that he regretted it that everybody would go, oh, that's fine, then we'll just move on? I don't think that would happen. Well, no, of course not, because then the front pages for the next four or five days would be, A, that story continuing, but also I suspect then... Uh, as I'll come to in a minute, perhaps, the, the mainstream media will have smelt blood and then will continue to incessantly bash the whole Cummings drum on the basis of trying to get further concessions and apologies from the man. Yeah, well, this brings us to your first nomination, I presume, Russell. It does very nicely. Um, yes, uh, I think far, far worse than Cummings himself is the way that the mainstream media itself has behaved over the last week or eight or nine days, whatever it is. And present company accepted. Obviously, I listen to your show, Mike, and Thank you've you. been uh, a bastion of balance here, actually. As and, ever. Uh, sensibility. Um, but the mainstream media, and, and by that, what I mean is the likes of you know Sky, BBC, ITV, Robert Peston, Beth Rigby, Gary Gibbon, and Piers Morgan in particular, um, I, I actually sense, apart from their obsession here, where actually we haven't heard any other news, have we, for the last eight or nine days? There's all sorts of stuff been going on around Brexit uh, and the US, uh, the fact that, you know, I think there was a tiny little piece in The Times on Sunday, which then wasn't explored any further this week insofar as the delay in terms of lockdown potentially causing 1.3 million extra infections and mm. so on. Whether you agree with that or not, I think the fact that we've been obsessed with one man's 260-mile trip to Durham and then back has meant that the whole mainstream media has been distracted. But the other issue I've got is the hypocrisy of the mainstream media. Did you see the photographers and the journalists outside oh, yeah. the house herding together, shoulder to shoulder, you know, no masks, no social distancing? And, and literally in one breath, you've got the likes of Adam Bolton on Sky saying how disgusting and terrible it is that uh, Dominic Cummins has done what he's done. And then literally goes straight to the, the Sky journalists on the scene and their cameramen who are in a kind of a herd 
you know, upfront and up close and personal to each other, um, in a in a blatant display of absolute hypocrisy. And and so I think the mainstream media, I, I don't think they've done themselves any favours. No. I think the majority of the public would probably agree with me. I think Joe, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, I'm obviously a, a journalist of long standing, and it pains me actually to be so critical of the way the media has behaved. But the media really has been quite outrageous. I mean, the Mirror and the Guardian, uh, to pick on just two of the papers that uh, that ran this story, have still not corrected the fact that on the second trip that they claim he made he has completely outright denied it he said that basically he was in london uh, you can check his mobile phone and and do his uh, um you know his uh, his sat nav and it will prove that he wasn't there and yet they haven't bothered to correct that they've allowed that out there to be something that people still think happened I agree. And from a psychological perspective, I don't like this sort of witch hunt. I don't like the fact they're all piling in on an individual. I sort of feel we need it. We need that kind of almost misdirection, if you like, from from everything else. Because it's something we can get hold of and it's palpable. And as you say, it may be incorrect in part. But it is palpable. It's something they can run with. And there isn't very much other than the same old kind of stats or the sort of figures we see or the charts that we see or what's going on in other countries for them to run with. So actually to see the press, yeah, it is quite shocking. However, to see the Daily Mail, I mean, the bastion of middle-class Tory voting Britain, turn against the Tories, um, or to turn against Boris, is extraordinary. So, yeah, I kind of agree. There definitely are planks, but I'm sort of also fascinated by the nuances of what's going on with traditional media. You expect The Guardian and The Mirror to kind of run with this stuff, but The Daily Mail? Yeah, but The Daily Mail is now a very different beast since Paul Dacre was uh, given his marching orders and they put Geordie Gregg in charge, who, of course, is the new editor, who, of course, is a Remainer, uh, very close to the the Lord who runs the place, uh, and also is an Old Etonian, would you believe? Well, well, it doesn't. Yeah, it, this doesn't surprise me. But you know, I, it's the first time I've seen it sort of so obvious. I'm mean, pretty much they'll defend under any circumstances. You know, newspapers have always done this, as far as I know. They kind of pretty much stick with their party, and and that they will always put a spin on it, which is favourable. And it's the first time I've seen the mis- the mainstream media do this. However, I do think it is out of a desperation to pin everything on mm. somebody because otherwise there's just no explanation for what's going on and and he happens to be that scapegoat that everybody at the same time decided you know we're going to make him culpable for yeah. all we're feeling for yeah, the past I'd, three months i'd go a bit further than that I, I i honestly think this is a leftover from brexit don't you the fact that cummings has seemed to be the brexit victor uh, as is Johnson, and lots and lots of members of the mainstream media that were very, very blatant in their Remain stance mm. individually on their Twitter accounts, the likes of Peston, Rigby and Lewis Goodall and so on. I think they saw this as an opportunity to get Cummings. Uh, yes, course, oh, I think there's no question, because he has treated the, the media with absolute scant regard, doesn't think they're worth the, the paper they're written on, as it were. But, I mean, I actually put a, a tweet out on Saturday night, slightly mischievously, unusually for me, suggesting that uh, Dominic Cummings has produced his own death dead cat because basically he's got everybody looking at him and nobody's looking at the government nobody's blaming boris for anything they're all tra- so desperate to try and take him down um that he's managed to distract everybody from what's actually happening joe well what i did find fascinating at the briefing last night was of course all the journalists have their questions prepared yeah. about cummings every single one and yet you know boris throws a curveball into this by opening up car showrooms on the first of june and you know, virtually every other store from the 15th of June. And I, at this point, so why are you not changing your questions? You know, it's live. Why can't you suddenly mm. 
say, OK, I'm going to tear up the Cummings question, so we're clearly not going to get anywhere with them. We tried it already just an hour ago with the man himself. Why they didn't just ask something else. Yeah. I felt it made them look really exactly. weak. It was clearly a device used by Johnson to disarm them, and it worked yeah. incredibly successfully. And I found that extraordinary. They all looked so stupid. Well, they do. Yesterday's news, yeah, already, well, an hour later. I know, and that's exactly, I think, what, what they wanted to do. My, my first nominee is obviously from the same sort of uh, stable, if you like, as, as your uh, first uh, ones each. I'm going for an organisation called Led by Donkeys. Now, I didn't know about this lot, uh, unfortunately, until uh, it was too late. These are the people who drove a lorry into Dominic Cummings Street, which had a massive television screen on it started playing interviews with people uh, who were talking about how much they hated the government because they'd lost loved ones. I mean, really disgusting stuff. Outside a house where his four-year-old lives with his mother and with Dominic Cummings. They claimed later that they did it because they knew the kid wasn't there. But, I mean, even so... It, this kind of piling on people, this kind of intimidatory behaviour. They've got a big billboard which is pub, which is out on um, uh, outside of Westminster Bridge, which says "Stay alert, uh, government incompetence costs lives." And I don't know who is paying for it all. I don't know who's bankrolling them, but they've got three hundred sixty-seven thousand followers on Twitter. And these are the kind of sort of lefties that I really, really detest because they're sort of faceless. They'll turn up to demonstrate about anything as long as it's nothing that they uh, actually, you know, can put their hands on their hearts and say that they support. And I just think something terrible has happened to this country if these kind of organisations uh, are allowed to do whatever they like. Joe. Well, look, you know, I'm a slightly left-wing leaning. However, I have never supported anything like Momentum. I've never supported any of the kind of raving left. Um, that, as you say, just go out there because they can and with total disregard for people's feelings. In fact, you know, that, that TV screen, you know, if we agree or not agree, but if we say that Dominic Cummins was thoughtless in what he did in terms of other people's feelings who made all these sacrifices, they are equally thoughtless mm. in dragging a big TV screen in front of his home, you know, to, to do that sort of thing. So when you don't see, when you don't have a clue of emotional intelligence of how your behaviour is kind of emulating the very behaviour that you're protesting about, then I think you've lost the plot. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, Russell, why don't you give us your second nomination? Uh, yes, my next nomination is, again, related to one and two, I guess, is uh, the wonderful Alistair Campbell. Oh, yes. Now, Alistair, as, as we know, was the Director of Communications for... Uh, Tony Blair up until whenever that was, 2008-2009, and uh, was really the architect of spin and subterfuge and uh, glossing the media and backslapping and so on. And he didn't, um, he and, didn't and do it with a very kind heart either. No, and so the reason that, and it shouldn't be a surprise really, the reason that he's on my nomination list is simply the bare-faced hypocrisy of the man over the last four or five days. He's been wheeled on to the BBC and Sky and, of course, very prolific on Twitter and other social media channels, where, with a straight face, without any irony whatsoever, has launched into quite severe attacks on Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson, insofar as uh, them being liars, them being deceitful, uh, them being masters of spin, I mean, crikey, <laughs> steady on a sec, yeah. um, and how the government and Doris, uh, Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings in particular have, in his words, blood on their hands mm. insofar as the people that have died from COVID. Now, I have to say, uh, and hopefully you'll keep this bit in, if anybody in the last 20 years in government has blood on their hands, it's the likes of Alistair Campbell 
and Tony Blair. So the, the gall and the barefaced hypocrisy of a man that can tweet incessantly every few minutes about what liars and, uh, and what deceit has been displayed by the likes of Cummings and uh, Johnson. I mean, the, the, the man honestly wants to take a good look at himself in the mirror. Um, we don't have that short memories that we don't remember uh, what he was like as the architect yeah. of liars and deception himself. He does seem impervious to that kind of criticism, doesn't he? And he's also the kind of go-to expert for everybody as soon as anything happens. And and Joe, I was watching um, the, the, the briefing that Dominic Cummings gave yesterday, and right after it, Adam Bolton from Sky, straight to their first guest, Alistair Campbell, who completely rubbished it. Yes, Alistair Campbell is more than a go-to person. He bobs up everywhere. I mean, he must be, he's 24-7, he never sleeps. Look, you know, he's like the original sort of Teflon guy. He has very conveniently chosen to forget uh, any criticism that could be railed at him back in the day. And he's come back sort of like a sub-Piers Morgan, yeah. but without a, without a show to sort of hang it on. So it's every opportunity he can have. I mean, I quite like Alistair Campbell for his passion for, you know, I think there is a, there's a good heart in there somewhere, but it's almost excessive. It's constant. And, you know, choose your battles wisely would be my view, mm. rather than piling into yes. everything. But he's, by, his own, by his own admission, he is a very obsessive character, you know. Yeah, he, um, he was he an is. alcoholic. Uh, he was a workaholic. He was all of those things that uh, that drive people uh, sort of crazy after a while. And, and I mean, I don't know if there's a name for somebody who self-deludes them, themselves to such an extent that they kind of have rewritten their own history. But it seems to me to be something that that's what he does. We, we should perhaps coin, we should coin the phrase, shouldn't we? We should call it Campbellism. Um, <laughs> um, and, and the other thing that he's banging on about at the moment, today in particular on Sky News, was how he terms the political elite. And again, if anyone was at the top elitist table of government, it was him. Right, exactly right. Joe, why don't you give us your second one? OK, so my second one, I'm afraid, is Grant Shaft. Ah. Now... Really, because he's just the most tragic fall guy for everything in the past few days. I mean, you know, he's the transport secretary. Uh, so when he came on, he announced uh, 419 net- network rail projects, a thousand upgrades to roads during the Maybank holiday, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I thought, well, we're desperate to kind of hear something. I believe at the time about Dominic Cummings. Yeah. And he's talking about roads, and there was an A, I don't know, let's call it the A66. I think it was the A66, wasn't it? Oh, was it? It was yeah. the A66. Yeah. It's a bit like the devil 666, but anyway. <laughs> I mean, like, really, uh, it's just a very strange thing to sort of enter with. So anyway, he came in, he's got very bad hair at the moment. I know a lot of guys are suffering with a lack Join of hair. Join the club. Cut, but Grant <laughs> Shaft's hair looks like he's stuck his fingers into a socket, so it's all springy and fluffy. So I keep obsessing about that. And then he got dragged onto everything to try and explain the Dominic Cummings situation. And clearly, he was unable to. He probably wasn't the right man to say it. He looked like he wasn't the right man. He didn't. He pulled the short straw. Uh, and for that reason, I think he's... Yes. Well, he's a very unpopular guy, Grant Shapps. I mean, even I think his own uh, party are not that keen on him. But, I mean, this is a guy who... Uh, I used to know someone who knew him when he was younger... Uh, where apparently he was the sort of the spitting image of of Tory boy, you know that Harry Enfield character that used to drive around in a sort of sports car with the open top and and just sort of you know laugh at the peasants and literally throw money out of it, you know, he was that kind of a character. And he is a, a rather sort of um, smug individual. But the idea of Russell that he was disappointed nobody wanted to ask him about the A sixty six suggests that uh, he might be in the wrong job. <laughs> 
Yeah, there, there, there's a shock. Yeah, you can imagine the journalists kind of scratching their heads as to, well, shall I ask about Dominic Cummings yeah. or shall I ask about a, uh, a new road that right. may or may not be built? So no, I, I have to disagree quite considerably really on Shabs. I actually think he's quite an accomplished minister. Now, mm. obviously, he's been around a while. He's been kind of in and out of the cabinet. Uh, but I, I think that he was definitely given a hospital pass, wasn't he, at the weekend? Oh, he was yeah. obviously on, on duty right. and, and had to kind of uh, defend someone that apparently he hadn't even spoken to about this particular incident in, mm. the, in, in the form of Dominic Cummings. So, but I, I actually think Shaps does pretty well yeah. compared to most ministers when he's on the stump. Well, this is the thing about Dominic Cummings and why clearly there are so many people in the Tory party who don't like him and want to get him get him out, because that leads me to my third, or sorry, my second contender as well. Uh, because the problem for Cummings is that he's got a lot of enemies and anyone who has a lot of enemies, whenever things like this happen, you know, they just pile in. I mean, it's a bit like when I used to work in newspapers, you know, if you had um, a very aggressive way about you and if you messed a few people around uh, and if you'd done something to somebody that upset them, as soon as you're in a vulnerable position, they just come and start killing you. You know, and that's what's happening to Cummings now. But my my second nomination is a bloke that until this moment today, I'd never heard of. He's a guy called Douglas Ross, who's apparently um, the junior minister for Scotland uh, in the uh, in the government. And he decided uh, uproariously to to resign his position, having only been in it for four and a half months. Uh, he decided it was a great idea to show some kind of uh, willingness you know, to uh, to to bring uh, Cummings down. Gleefully, of course, it was reported that he was, his resignation would be followed by several others, which didn't happen. Um, and he's a bloke who has always been a Remainer um, and and would always be anti-Cummings anyway. And I just think that, you know, to get yourself into a government is a great achievement. But if you put yourself out of it after four and a half months over <laughs> something which doesn't really matter in, as far as he's concerned, um, it's just mad to me, Joe. Well, I'm wondering if he was looking out, of, you know, for a get out of jail free card, you know, A or B was hoping that this would create huge ripples um, in the Tory government, and he would be the person who made that initial statement. And of course, it's just disappeared under the radar, as you say. I've never heard of him until today. I probably won't hear of him again after tomorrow. <laughs> um, he's he's been and come and gone, and whatever uh, statement he was trying to make with his resignation kind of hasn't really worked. Right. The thing that I find quite amusing about him as well, and I don't know why I find this comical, but his other job is he's a ref football referee, Russell, which always, you know, sort of conjures up images of people shouting at him from the terraces, you know, get your eyes fixed or get your spec savers on or something like that, you know, because at the end of the day, everybody hates the referee. My goodness, you, you couldn't get, apart from estate agency, and I'll put my hands up to that, you couldn't get two more undesirable professions in one. Maybe he thinks that two negatives makes a positive somehow. And yeah, I, I think, look, isn't it obvious that with four years to go until an election, what's the point in resigning? I mean, Bojo's not going anywhere, uh, Cummings isn't going anywhere, and there's no pressure on them to, to, to go anywhere. So a resignation, I, I suspect he's probably got a mailbag full of constituency angst and uh, objection to Cummings and thinks, well, actually, if I'm to survive re-election in the future, I'd better fall on my sword and be and do the right thing. So it's probably got less to do about principle and more about re-election, I suspect. Yeah, well, funnily enough, I got um, I was talking to somebody on the show today about these emails that all these MPs are claiming they've got. And I'm not I'm never sure when any, when any MP says they've got thousands of emails, whether one, they're telling the truth or two, they haven't all come from the same office, you know. But apparently they I'm, the, the MPs are saying, oh, but these are these are emails from people who don't normally email us. And I'm like, oh, what? So there might be bots then. 
Um, you know, oh, no, we have to check every email's genuine. I mean, Joe, I think there's a lot of things that get said. For example, I was having to go at Sky earlier today as well because yesterday they sent about three different reporters up to uh, Barnard Castle uh, after complaining that, uh, that one man had gone there with his wife and child. Um, and they said, oh, yeah, we haven't found anybody yet that's supportive of Dominic Cummings and everyone we've spoken to says that they think he should resign. But they didn't have any video footage of anybody saying anything. No, I mean, that's, that's sort of very odd journalism, isn't yeah. it? I mean, that is kind of just endorsing what you already want to say right. without backing it up and just assuming that we won't notice that actually there isn't anybody backing that up. So, uh, yeah, in that way, it's, it's all been a bit unsavoury, mm. and it is unsavoury. And for the reason I'd like it to go away is the unsavouriness. I actually kind of don't agree with what he did. I'd like him to have resigned, lefty me, or be fired. However, he didn't. And I do think there is a point at which yes, this kind of pursuit becomes purposeless now. And, and it just isn't very, isn't very good journalism, is no, it? No, it's really not. And it, doesn't, it just makes you feel slightly grubby. It makes you feel like, yeah. really, there should be better things being done with their time. And, you know, OK, you can say that he's brought it all on himself. But, you know, by a large extent, the media have created a media bubble around themselves and around him. Um, and they don't show any signs of wanting to let it go. But they really need to, I think. What's your third one, Joe? Absolutely agree. OK, so my third one, I've got to get this right. So it's Sadiq Khan. Now, now under most circumstances. Very popular, like, very popular choice, that. I think he won it I'm last week. Of him sometimes, but he seems to—he seems to misfire a lot mm. in what he says. Um, I kind of support him through his views on transport and protecting us on public transport. Then he started saying, though, you know, the kind of congestion charge is coming back, which I disagree with. And now he's saying that the kind of police, the bobby on the beat, if you like, is not counted as a key worker, and they are not going to be exempted from the congestion charge. And I find it, like, what is he doing? Like, is he just, you know, sleeping his way through just random stuff and then throwing it to see if it sticks? Because it's offensive. Anybody, whatever side of the political fence you're on, would, would I think, deem this the absolute rubbish that you wouldn't say that police going to work are not key workers. Why on earth would they not be exempt from the congestion charge? I can't imagine what this guy is thinking, uh, and even, um, you know, the, the police federation are saying that is a huge slap in the face. This is a really bad thing at a time like this. I, so I'm afraid he's in my... He's in my plank list. Yeah, well, he makes this list quite a lot, actually. He was plank of the month in February. Uh, that's how far <laughs> back it goes, because he just really was doing well. so well. Um, yeah, um, I, I can't imagine the ridiculousness of a man who in t initially, Russell, last week, I think it was, when he brought the congestion charge back, basically was blaming the government for it. Then it finally goes on uh, Good Morning Britain. He'll never come on my show. He loves to go on LBC, uh, but he never comes on. We've asked him probably about 15 times to come on my show. He never does. And um, he, he then had the gall to actually admit to Piers Morgan that it was his decision, that it was not the government's yeah. decision to put the congestion charge up. So I'm sorry, that's not spin. That's a lie, isn't it? He, he's a terrible mayor. And as far as I'm concerned, he could win this every week. Uh, I've nominated him in the past on your show, actually, for Plank of the Week. Yes. He, he is good at one thing and one thing only, and that is abdicating responsibility. He does it on housing quite a lot. Um, you know, his housing record over the last four years, where he said he was going to build, I think, 135,000 social housing units, is built 
about 23,000. But of course, it's somebody else's fault, even though he's got £4 billion sitting in the bank mm. given to him by government two years ago. It's somebody else's fault every single time. So, yeah. yes, Joe, uh, slightly surprised, but um, yeah, a welcome nomination. Indeed. And time for your third one, Russell. Right, so my third one, you might not recognise this name immediately. The name is James Argent. But okay. if I were to refer to him as Arge, any fan of the... It's actually the show that is shot in my hometown of Brentwood, actually. Towie. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Um, it's made a caricature of the entire neighbourhood. But never mind. Moving on from that. It wasn't um, just Towie Arge, that did that. I've got some news for you, I'm afraid. It, wasn't just... <laughs> it might, just, might just be me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but Arge is, look, the very, very popular, bubbly chubby character i have to say that happens to currently be going out with Gemma collins apparently um but the sun have made a big big deal about a so-called exclusive mm. that they've run with over the last 24 hours about his cocaine addiction and and the whole thing which obviously is orchestrated as a pr stunt to try and kind of grab some opportunistic popularity um is is a massive sympathy fest and and, and i have to say as someone that's never done such things and but that has in their family got all sorts of addicts you know my mum was an alcoholic my grandmother was an alcoholic and so on i have zero sympathy for someone that admits to having a cocaine addiction for seven years uh, and basically says how sorry everybody should feel for him um and the son have kind of fallen for it hook line and sinker and um i'm afraid look self-inflicted by my book not an illness he's obviously dabbled in it because it was a, a a party thing to do back in the day and now he's reaping the consequences but i have zero sympathy but this is the thing isn't it uh, joe i mean you'll have seen lots of examples of this uh, where this sort of celebrity gets into a bit of trouble uh, the celebrity then makes some kind of confession publicly uh, and then hopes that the uh, the forgiving public will continue uh, to think that they're great i mean he wouldn't be the first guy that's done it he wouldn't but interestingly i mean this is running concurrently with another story about James Argent, which is that he's lost, I don't know, a couple of stone in weight, can't remember exactly what it is, uh, and he intends to lose another three stone in weight. So he's on this kind of weight loss mission. You kind of think, well, if at the same time he's confessing to taking huge amounts of cocaine, uh, which is an appetite suppressant in itself, I kind of slightly confused why he's also selling himself on this uh, stupendous weight loss plan mm. that he's been right. on because one would be tempted to confuse the two stories as having been related in yes. some way. Yes, but I suppose, I mean, when I was working in tabloid business, there used to be a kind of timeline of what happened to someone. You know, get discovered, make a load of money, start taking loads of drugs, start falling off the other side of the mountain and suddenly come back with some kind of confession to get you back up to the top of the mountain and get another recording contract or another movie or something like that. There's a sort of a, there's a pattern to all of it. Dare I venture that he's just changed PR firms, I suspect that's what uh, it's all about. <laughs> They've overlapped. Well, the it's always possible. Now- One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm hoping you're going to like my final uh, nomination because this, I think, is my best one. And it's J.K. Rowling. Uh, because I don't know whether you, over the course of all the madness of the weekend you spotted that um, after one of the briefings, I think it might have been after Boris first appeared, um, the UK Civil Service Twitter account tweeted out um, a tweet which was very swiftly <laughs> deleted, basically, uh, which which said something like, arrogant and offensive, can you imagine having to work with these truth twisters, right? And it was put out on this official UK Civil Service account. J.K. Rowling was so excited by it that she said, basically, uh, she tweeted out that if anybody could identify who it was that had sent the tweet out, she would pay their salary for a year. Now, I thought to myself, you know, so here's a woman who's so wealthy that she could literally buy Britain, probably, if she wanted to, um, offering to bribe a civil servant, an officer of the Crown, somebody who works for the government, uh, basically, in this country, uh, and encourage them to continue to behave in a way which is, quite frankly, seditious. Joe. Well, you know, if this was a tweet put out by somebody who wasn't J.K. Rowling, it was just a random person on Twitter going, whoa, whoa, whoa I love that, you know, oh, I'll give them my year's salary, you know, absolutely. That would be okay, but it's J.K. Rowling. And the problem is that some people just, you know, they have this huge amount of influence. You know, my kids grew up on J.K. Rowling. Yeah. I'm so disappointed in her now. Because it was like this this massive part of their sort of growing up and the books and, you know, everything else. And, and she just seems to throw these things out without consideration that she has this huge sort of influence. It's just kind of insulting and it's childlike. Mm. And I 100% am with you on J.K. Rowling. We've finally found some common ground. I'm very glad to we hear have. it. We have. This is what happens when you come on the plates with me. This is how it goes. Uh, Russell, what do you reckon? Well, yeah, you'd imagine that J.K. Rowling would want the civil service to be unbiased and to be impartial. Yeah. And, and surely if, if someone was to treat to tweet something that was pro-government from a civil service account, she'd be all over it. Her and Hugh Grant would be having babies, oh, yeah. not together, I might add, um, but they would be apoplectic. So it, it's, again, massive hypocrisy that someone should be effectively encouraging individuals within the civil service that are bound by a code of impartiality to be the opposite of that. I think it's absolutely... Absolutely astonishing. Absolutely right. So now here's the point where we've now got our nine nominations, Joe. So I'm going to ask you to pick your favourite one of my three to reduce it down to one from me. So my three are J.K. Rowling, Douglas Ross, uh, the uh, the junior minister for Scotland, and led by donkeys. Which one of those should we put into the final three? Well, from my perspective, I'm going to put J.K. Rowling in because she's seems like she could be part of Led by Donkeys, really. I mean, she might be the perpetrator of Led by Donkeys. She's had the same sort of attitude. <laughs> um, I, I'd like to... And Douglas Ross, I just don't feel... I think he's 
he's gone and come comings and goings you know sorry um uh, yeah i've always been a bit peed off for jk rowling and her attitude to life so i'm gonna go for her okay and so russell why don't you choose uh, which one of um, joe's you'd like to put through uh, that comes from uh, dominic cummings um sadiq khan and grant shaps well, this is tricky because I, I can't put Cummings in, I'm afraid, because uh, I don't think he's worthy of being a plank. Um, Grant Shapps, I, I feel equally passionately about, actually, in terms of my defence of him. Um, and, and without wishing to be typecast, Mike, I, therefore it leaves me by a process of elimination to Sadiq Khan. <laughs> so Sadiq Khan... Oh, hold on. <laughs> this is now starting to look like a stitch-up, Joe. I hope you don't no, think it is. Totally. I've got a better expression than that. Well, I mean... Mike and I did not collaborate earlier. We no, we really didn't. We really didn't. I didn't even <laughs> think that could happen, but there we are. All right, so oh, Joe. Oh, look at it. So, so um, I should now choose yours, Russell, right? What were your three again? Uh, my three were the mainstream media, yeah. Alistair Campbell and Arge. I think it's going to be the mainstream media, you know. I think I'm going to go for that because that will then give us the three finalists of the mainstream media, Sadiq Khan and J.K. Rowling. And now we have to do the very simple thing, Joe, of agreeing by majority rule which one of the... All of them are in the top ten, so all three of these are in the top three, basically. But which one do you think should win? Oh, this is a very difficult question. I've lost Dominic Cummings. You have to appreciate that the only person... Well, do you know what I think I'm going to do? It's kind of gone. Well, what I'm going to do, because I compile the top ten list, beyond the top three, I can ensure I can assure you that we can put Cummings in as number four if you want. Okay, well, there's a little bit of peace giving there. Okay, I'll accept that. So, actually, I am going to go for the mainstream media. Okay, mainstream media. What do you think, Russell? Well, it has to be. Well, it was my nomination too, but it absolutely has to be. I think they're a worthy winner. I think that's a brilliant choice. So we'll go with mainstream media, uh, two and three. Obviously, Sadiq Khan, J.K. Rowling, Dominic Cummings coming in at number four. I think it's a marvellous plank of the week, this. Plank of the week, mainstream media. Thank you, guys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.